The title for this morning's message is Independence. Not independence, independence. You see, independence is the problem. The word together, independence. Now, we've heard of the Declaration of Independence, and we usually send our teenagers on whenever they become independent of us. But as far as scripturally, Scripture is concerned, independence is the problem. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Going back to our passage last week in Mark chapter 4 and verse 40, Jesus asked his disciples, and I've just, this, this question has just been on my heart this week, heavy. Why are you afraid? Why are we so afraid? Can I tell you what we're afraid of? We're afraid of what this book says. Can I tell you why? Because oftentimes we listen to what man has to say about God's word instead of just listening to what God's word has to say. We are so concerned about what man has to say about God's word rather than just taking God's word for what it says. Why are we so afraid? You see, we listen to theologians like Spurgeon and Calvin who teach us that God only came to save some of mankind. We listen to that and we get indoctrinated with that. And, and above that, I, that's just one example. But we listen to what man has to say. Well, this is what God really meant when he said this. Oh, really? That's a bold move. That's a bold statement. Who are we to try and figure out what God is trying to say instead of just taking it for what it is? You see, mankind's problem is knowledge. Can I take you back to Genesis chapter 1 to show you that? Let me ask you a question before we turn there. And I don't want you to answer it out loud. I just want you to think about it a second. If God's word shows you something, and it's the opposite of what you've grown up believing, will you believe God's word or will you believe what you've believed all along? Because oftentimes we're quick to answer, oh, I believe God's word. But what happens when God's word rocks your world? I'm here to tell you, my friend, over the, over the last three weeks, God has rocked my world. He has rocked my theology. He has rocked my beliefs because I've simply taken what God's Word has to say. You see, I had been taught, hey, let's go to a commentary. You don't understand something? Let's go to a commentary. Let's see what somebody else has to say about this instead of studying God's Word. You know what the best commentary on God's Word is? God's Word. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that? It says it right there, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we all know this passage. He goes on to create the, 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 the earth itself and the waters and the land and the trees and everything in the earth. Then he creates the birds and the, and the mammals and the whales and the fish in the sea. And then we get all the way down to verse to, to, to day 6. And in verse... Um, 25, excuse me, verse 26, chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing 
that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Whose image was man made in? God's. Do you believe that? It says it right there. Black and white. Man was created in God's image. Now I want you to flip to chapter 2. Chapter 2. And verse... Give me a second here. Verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, how did God make everything else? Did he create the fish dead or alive? Alive. Did he create the birds of the air dead or alive? He created them alive. Did he create the mammals and the, the ants and the reptiles? Were they alive or dead? They were alive. And he, he simply spoke and they were. Now, what's the difference between the animals and mankind? The Bible says God formed man. You see, everything else God spoke into existence. Mankind he formed out of the dust of the earth. And not only did he do that, he formed man. Was man dead or alive? Aha, I got some mixed responses. According to this verse... Man was not made alive until God put his breath in mankind. Who is mankind totally dependent on? God. Mankind is totally dependent upon God. Now, God puts man in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it, to nurture it, to take care of it, to name all the animals that God would bring before him. Now look at verse 16. The Bible says this, Then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you will surely die. Now let's back up. Let's slow down a little bit. Because we all know the story. Adam and Eve partook of the fruit. But let's back up. What other tree was in the garden? There were two trees that were specifically mentioned. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Does anybody know what the other one was? The tree of life. Now, what's the only one that God said you couldn't eat of? The knowledge of good and evil. Now, let's slow, down. let's slow that down a little bit. The knowledge of good and evil. Let's slow it down even more. The knowledge of good and evil. There's a little bit of a problem there. Because all my life growing up, I've heard do good things. You need to do good things to get God's favor. You need to go to church. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to do all these good things to gain God's favor. But God said, you're not supposed to eat of that tree of good and evil. See, we, we, we take the evil part. Well, man, we learned what evil was. No, mankind learned what good and evil was. You know why? Because it's called knowledge. And that is mankind's problem today. You know why we're so afraid? It's because we know too much. And we simply can't take God's word for what it is. 
This is a lot. We're going to break this all down, I promise. Okay? The knowledge of good and evil. Can I tell you something today? God doesn't give two rips whether you know right from wrong. He doesn't care. You know why? Because some of the things that you think are right are actually wrong, and some of the things that you think are wrong are actually right. God doesn't care. You know what God does care about? He cares whether or not you are entirely dependent upon Him. Because guess what? If you're entirely dependent upon Him, you're not going to do wrong. You're going to simply trust Him and follow Him and obey whatever He says, and the other stuff doesn't even matter. We know too much. Do you think God might know something that you and I don't? You see, a lot of times we as Christians, we take this book and we say, well, this is God. Is God greater than this book? Oh, it's a quiet room. Is God greater than this book? You better believe He is. He wrote it. It did not write Him. He wrote it. But oftentimes we worship this book as God. This book teaches us about God and who He is. But my friend, can I tell you something? There is a lot that we don't know about God, that we don't understand about God. We try to explain everything so that it fits in our mind and God makes sense in our mind. We formulate this picture and this image of who God is based upon what we know about God. Now, isn't it interesting that in the Ten Commandments, God said what? You shall have no graven images. But what do we do with this book? We create a graven image of who God is. And God can't be greater than this book. No, no. God can't go outside of the bounds of this book. He can't. Yes, he can. He's greater than this book, my friend. He's greater than this little box that we've got God trapped in. That was the disciples' problem last week, wasn't it? Why are you so afraid? Because we've got you in this little box. And there's only so much that you can control and that you don't care because we're all dying here. You're sleeping in the back of the boat while waves are beating over your head. We put God in this little box. And you know what Jesus did with the disciples that day? He stood up and he showed them he is way bigger than that box that they put him in. God is bigger than the box that we put him in. Now, let's look here at chapter 3. God has commanded them to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the end of verse chapter 2 says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Remember that. Chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? That old serpent. Think God, has God said you can't eat from any tree? You're going to starve to death? What's the woman say? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now Satan, the way he lies to us is he mixes a partial truth with a lie. What does that make it? A lie. What was the lie in this verse? Was it the fact that they would know good from evil or was it the fact that they would be like God? Which part? It was that they would know. The lie was, the lie was that they would be like God. Do you know why? Because they were already made in God's image. They were already like God. 
Now, I'm not sitting here today saying that we are gods and that Adam and Eve were gods, but they were already made like God because they were made in God's image. You know what the truth was? Yeah, they knew good from evil. They got that head knowledge instead of being totally dependent. You know what Eve's problem was? She wanted to be independent of who God was. I can, I can be independent. I can do these things by myself. You know what our problem is today? I can do this on my own. Independence instead of living in dependence. That's our problem. And therefore, sin entered into the world. Adam's going to partake of the fruit. And then their eyes are open. And they both knew that they were naked. And they sewed the fig leaves together. And they hid themselves. And here comes God walking in the cool of the day. And what does God, what does God say? Where are you? Did God know where they were? Yeah. Yeah, he knew. And like those three-year-old kids, I love playing hide-and-seek with Robbie. You know why? Because he's not very hard to find. <laughs> hey, where are you? I'm over here. That's <laughs> what happened here, isn't it? God did not hide from man. Oftentimes we say, well, God turned his back on man's sin. No, he didn't. He came to confront the issue. Man hid from God, and God came seeking after man. You know why? Because he loves man. He loves man. He came seeking after mankind. And he calls them out. And they get this whole situation settled. And towards the end of the chapter, verse 21 of chapter 3, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And then the Lord said, Wait, let me slow down. I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting too excited. Sorry. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Well, there it is. God hid man's sin. No, he didn't. You see, back in verse 15, he looked at the woman and he promised her that her offspring would crush the serpent's head. And what he's doing here is he's presenting them with a picture of what is to come. One will die whose blood will cover their sins to make them alive again in himself. And that person we know today is Jesus Christ. They didn't know that, but it was a picture of God's love and his grace. And then all of a sudden we just jump to the fact that God kicked him out of the garden. Let's hold on a second. Hold on a second. Down in verse 22, the Bible says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take us from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Was mankind kicked out of the garden because of their sin? No. Their sin had already been covered. It had already been taken care of. You know why God put them out of the garden? so that they would not be stuck in sin forever. Because of his love, he removed mankind from the garden. He didn't boot them out of the garden. I'll see you later. We'll deal with all that sin later. Is that not what the Bible says? Is that what I came up with or is that what the Bible says? Is it not there in verse 22? Does it say that they kicked them out because of their sin? No. They were stuck in their sin. God did not want them to be stuck in their sin forever, so therefore he removed them from the garden. I know it's a lot. So I asked you that question at the beginning. I want to take you somewhere. Do you know that many... Pastors and many teachers 
have made Adam more powerful than God. You say, what do you mean, Dusty? Can I take it to Romans chapter 5? Because of Adam, all have died. We all know that. Because of Adam, we all sin. We all know that. Verse 17 of chapter 5 of Romans. The Bible says, For by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. Do we all agree on that? Through Adam, all sin. Through Adam, condemnation is upon all men. Do we agree with that? Do we believe that? Come on, church, do we believe that? Is it there in your Bible? Did you read it? Is it in black and white? Yes. So, that, so then, verse 18 again, so then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to who? To all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Can I tell you something? When Adam sinned, all sinned. When Adam died, all died. And all were stuck under sin's condemnation. But we just read that when Jesus died, all men died and all men have come to life. Can I tell you something today? Do you believe the Bible when Jesus said it is finished? Did he really mean it's finished? Or is there more that needs to be done? You see, my Bible says Jesus said it is finished. It's done. You know what? A lot of times we think that whenever somebody comes to get saved, that somehow they've got to confess all these sins and then God's going to grant them forgiveness. If they do this, then he will do that. If they do this, then he will do that. My friend, it's done. Christ died once and for all sin. All men have come. To life. The, the, the difference is, the problem is, it's a belief problem. It's an identity problem. You see, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. It does not say that whoever confesses their sin. It does not say whoever comes for, to repentance. It does not say any of those things. What does it say? Whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Believes in what? Believes in, the, believes in the finished work of the cross. Believes the fact that Jesus did die for them. Believes the fact that Jesus did, was buried for them, that, that he did rise again from the dead. When Christ died, we all died. When Christ was buried, we all were buried. When Christ was made alive, we were all made alive. It's the difference of people not knowing and not believing in what's been done for them. That's the problem. Can I give you an example of that back in the book of Genesis? Flipping all the way back. I know I got you bouncing back and forth in your Bible. 
Genesis chapter 32. In verse 24, we meet this man named Jacob. Not for the first time. Jacob's had quite a history. Started off lying, you know, stealing his, his brother's birthright, lying to his father, deceiving his uncle. He's had a history of problems and living under false identities. And here in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 24, the Bible says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. You see, he'd sent his whole family over this river because he was going to meet his brother the next day. And the last time he saw his brother, his brother was going to kill him. And so he's wrestling with this man. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, when the man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Unless you bless me. You see, Jacob, the last blessing he got was a deceptive blessing. He hadn't waited on God's timing. He was not dependent upon God. He was independent and got it on his own will with the help of his mother. And he'd been on the run for 20 years. For 20 long years. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Because tomorrow I might die. Verse 27. So he said to him, what is your name? Now let's stop there for a second. We all know who was wrestling with Jacob, right? It was the Lord. The Lord was wrestling with Jacob. Did the Lord know Jacob's name? Yes, he did. Why did he ask Jacob his name? Can I tell you why? Because Jacob had been lying to himself about who his identity was. Can I tell you, we live in a world today where people are lying to themselves about their identity. Because, look here. He said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Can I tell you something? God has given you a new name. Satan wants, you to keep, wants to keep you under the deceptive thought that you're just a sinner, that you're a murderer, that you're an adulterer, that you're a liar, that you're an alcoholic, that you're a porn addict. Those are the names that we give ourselves and that we identify as. And we have a God who has come and He has died upon a cross for our sins, was buried and raised again, to walk in newness of life and has given that gift freely to all men and he looks at all of mankind and he says, your name is no longer alcoholic. Your name is redeemed. Your name is no longer porn addict. Your name is loved. Your name is no longer murderer. Your name is child of God. Can I tell you, there's a lot of Christians today and a lot of people living in the world that are still living under that name Jacob. My name's Jacob. There's a lot of baggage with it. There's a lot that goes with my name. You know what Jesus says? <laughs> I've taken care of all that. I've given you a new name. Why don't you stop being independent 
and come back to being dependent upon me. Because that was the problem from the very start. We became independent. Oh, I know all these things. I'm so wise. I understand how God works. Can I tell you something? The last three weeks I've realized how dumb I am, how really absolutely stupid I am as a human being. It's all so simple, and it's right here in black and white. But for too long I've been distracted with what other people have to say about the Bible instead of just reading the Bible and saying, I believe what the Bible says. And can I tell you something? A lot of Christians would find more success, and it's not about success. It's not anything we can do, okay? I'm not, I'm not, what I'm about to say is not about what we can do, but we would find so much more power and strength if we would come back to being dependent upon God and what He says and who He is instead of relying upon who we are and upon what we think we know. Now, I'm not saying that theologians aren't good to listen to and that we shouldn't listen to other pastors and preachers. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we should take everything they say and we should compare it to this book because this book is the truth. It's the whole truth and it's nothing but the truth. Can I tell you what pastors are? Myself included, we are fallible men. We make mistakes. I just admitted to you that my whole life I've been teaching it wrong. That you've got to do something to get something. Jesus said it's all done. You just got to believe in it. You just got to believe that I've done that for you. That's it. It's so simple. And yet we've got to pray a prayer and then we've got to go through counseling to make sure that you're saved and we've got to do all these things to, to double check and triple check and then we can get baptized once you understand what baptism is. Where in the world is that in the Bible? Point it out to me. Show me. You pull me aside and you pull, me out, pull it out where one person prayed the sinner's prayer in the Bible where they did counseling before they baptized somebody. Because my Bible says when Philip was with the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian look, eunuch looked at him and said, what, what, what prohibits me from being baptized? And Philip looked at him and said, well, if you believe in what Jesus has done for you, you're good to go. And you know what they did? They went and baptized him. He didn't pray no prayer. He didn't have to go to church and give his tithes and go through counseling and make sure that he meets with the pastor and double-checks everything. They went and did it right then. But we think we know something. We think we know something. We, me too, okay? Me too. We think we know something instead of just being dependent upon who God is and what He has done for us, what He's taught us. Could it be that Jesus knows a little bit more than you and I? Could it be that Jesus knows something that you and I don't? Could it be that there are things about God that you and I will never be able to understand? You better believe it. My friend, we, we, we don't even know a fraction about who God is. We don't. This book gives us the things that we need to know and understand to come to salvation. But God is so much bigger. And He's so much greater than what we give Him credit for can I tell you why we don't want to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus it's because we're afraid now, I was talking to one of the deacons this week and we were talking about God asking us to do things and how oftentimes it just man, it's so hard to do some of the things God asks us you know why it's hard because we make it hard 
We make it hard. God asks you to go pray for somebody. Is that hard? Come on. Why don't we go? I don't know, God. They just, they may not like that. They may not appreciate that. They don't really know who I am, and, you know, I'm not used to doing that. Who makes it hard? Does God or do we? We do. Y'all, it's not hard. We make it hard. It is so simple. God's word is so simple. That's why it says when we come to faith, it's in childlike faith. Simply believe what I've told you. That's what I love about Ravi. You could tell him anything and he believed you at this age. And God looks at us and he says, unless you come to me in childlike faith, you won't believe it. You know what the scribes and the Pharisees' problem was? Hey, we want you to show us signs. We want you to explain these things to us. We want you to tell us about these things so that we can know. Jesus said, no, not going to do that. Because it's not about that. It's about believing in what he says. It's about being obedient to what he tells us to do. And it's about being completely and entirely dependent upon who he is as God. From what we eat to what we dress. He talks about, you know, he uses the the illustration of God clothing the lilies of the field and feeding the sparrows and taking care of them. How much more does he love you? And if we're not to worry about those things, then why in the world are we so worried about so many things in life? You know why? Because we're not dependent upon Him. We're living under that knowledge. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you really want to know something, start living for God. Start being entirely dependent upon who He is. That's when you'll get to know things. You'll get to know what His will is for your life. He'll get to, you'll get to know what His plans are for you. You'll get to know how He's going to lead you and use you to accomplish great things to glorify His name. But you know when the problem arises? When God asks us to do something and, God, why do you want me to do that? Can I tell you this what happened last Sunday morning? I almost messed up. When that thought first popped in my head that morning, that's kind of... That's crazy, God. Why? I'm brushing my teeth. That's the most random thing in the world. Until my spirit was heavy. And I prayed and said, well, I guess if that's what you want me to do, then we'll do it. My friend, I'm telling you, God has been rocking my world these last three weeks. And it's a lot to swallow. Because some of these things are completely reversing the things that we've been taught all of our lives. But are we going to believe what man has to say about God's word or are we going to take God's word for what it says? That's what it's about. Now, if you want to get a preacher that is versed in all that we've been learning and all those theological things, then go ahead. It's okay. No hard feelings. But can I tell you something today? From this moment moving forward, I'm going to preach this book and this book alone. Because this book's all that matters. Back to our first question. Why are we so afraid? I think it's because, partly because we know too much. And, the re- and because we know too much, 
we're afraid to listen to that still small voice that's within us. You see, there's a trinity. The Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But a lot of Christians replace God the Holy Spirit with this book. And therefore the Trinity becomes God the Father, God the Son, and God the Bible. But that's not what my Bible says the Trinity is. You see, when we, get, when we come to faith in Christ, when we put our faith and our trust in Christ, when we believe in what He's done for us, the Bible says that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something? 99% of Christians don't know who their best friend is. They don't know him. And he lives closer to them than a brother. He lives within them. And we don't know who he is. You know why? Because we're too, listen, we're too busy listening to the words out here instead of the words in here. And following what this voice tells us to do. We don't want to get too Pentecostal in a Baptist church. I'm not saying we get Pentecostal. We run up and down the aisles and we hold snakes and whatever. I'm not saying we do that. But be willing and obedient to listen to that voice inside you that says, hey, pray for her. Put your hand on that person. Hey, tip a little extra to this person today. Stop by this person's house today. Give this person a call. God asks us to do the simplest things. We're the one that makes it hard. Because we know too much. Well, we come today back to a place of saying, God, you know what? I really don't know everything. You know who the most annoying people are at get-togethers? The people that know everything. And we all know that to be true. And if you don't know that to be true, you're probably the person that knows it all. <laughs> God wants those. God is looking for people who are simply willing to be obedient to what He commands them to do. Taking Him at His word. Not having to understand everything. Not having to understand everything. Can I tell you here, even this morning, when we were singing that last song, I felt prompted to come up here and repeat the, the bridge. And, you know, I'm not used to that. And so I wrestled with that. And God just kept pounding on my heart. You need to go up there. You need to do it. I don't say those things. To pat, don't, don't take those things as just patting himself on the back. I'm using myself as an example because I struggle with it too. But the more we do it, the more comfortable we will become in listening to the voice of God and knowing His voice, hearing Him. And it doesn't matter what the outcome is. You know what our part is? To be obedient. Our part is not the outcome. That's God's part. But again, we're too busy. What, what, ha what will happen? What will happen if I do this? What happens if I do that? It doesn't matter about what if. Just do it. And God will bless. He'll bless you no matter the outcome. We come back to a place of being entirely dependent upon who He is, upon His Word, upon what He's done for us, and simply believe Him in whatever He asks us to do. Will you bow with me this morning? The only way we'll know Him more is if we spend time with Him, is if we come back to a place where we wrestle with God. You know what? Sometimes in life, these last three weeks, I've been wrestling with God about things. The beliefs that I've had and reading His Word and seeing what His Word says and that differs with the things that I've grown up believing and wrestling with that. 
But my friend, we cannot change the truth. Two plus two equals four, whether you believe it or not. It doesn't change the fact that two plus two is four. Can I tell you the fact today is that Jesus has finished the work, whether you believe it or not. It has absolutely nothing to do with what you do. It has absolutely nothing to do with whether you know right from wrong. It has absolutely nothing to do with all the good works that you can do because the book of Isaiah teaches us that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. What matters is trusting and believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and living in your new identity in Him. You have a new name. And it's not sinner saved by grace. It's loved. It's not outcast. It's child of God. It's not um, adulterer or murder or fornicator. It's brother of Christ. You have a new name, and the Bible teaches us that we need to live in that new name because the old has been passed away. Behold, the new is what should live in us. Will we live in who we are? Or will we continue to depend upon our own knowledge about who we are? Yeah, well, my name's Dusty, and... I've just got, I've got a past. No, you don't. Not anymore. Jesus has erased it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 24 is one of the greatest verses in Scripture. They're all great, but it's one of the greatest. He became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You know what you are today? You are righteous. You are holy. You are set apart because God has made you that way. Since before the foundations of the earth, the Bible teaches us that Christ was crucified before the foundations of the earth. It was always a part of God's plan to redeem mankind to himself. If you're here today and you have not believed that yet, don't leave here today the same person because God has given you a new name through the blood of his son that you might come to faith in him and live for him in who you already are. You just don't know it yet. True knowledge comes from God. See, our head knowledge teaches us that we have to do something in order to gain something from God. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says believe in what God has given you. He's given you a new name. Believe in it. My friend, I'm convinced today that there's somebody here that doesn't know that truth, that hasn't accepted it yet. Will you come today? Brother in Christ, sister in Christ, will you come to the realization that you don't know everything? Will you come to the realization that you don't have to understand every aspect of who God is? You just have to understand and obedience. That's all God asks us to be is obedient. To believe in what He tells us to do and what He commands us to do. Will you and I, will we be obedient to what God has for us? Can I tell you the lesson that I had from last week's uh, service? Nothing was mine. Everything was God's. The message, the baptistry, the, the music, all of it was God's. And the message for me riding home that day was Dusty... I want to do a great work across for you. I want to use you and your people to do it, but I don't need you to do it. God does not need us to accomplish His will, but He wants to use us. And the only way He'll use us is if we come humbly before Him saying, you know what, God, I don't know everything. And I'm going to trust and be dependent entirely upon you. That's what Jacob's realization was. Y'all, the altar's open. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. 
Will you come today and say, God, would you, renew, would you renew this relationship? Would you take away all this head knowledge that I think I know? And will you teach me your knowledge? Will you teach me who you are? If you're here today and you don't know him, if you haven't received that new name, will you come today and receive it? He's holding his arms wide open and asking you to come. Will you come? Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of it. Lord, it is the truth. You are the truth. Truth is a person. Life is a person. The way is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Father, may we believe that today. Lord Jesus, may we live in light of the truth that you have preached to us and given us. May we take your word for what it is. May we not try to understand it. But may we simply have that childlike faith and just take your word for what it is. May we take that word and share it to the world that doesn't know the truth. There are so many people walking around today that don't know who they are because they haven't been told who they are. That they are loved. So many churches preach hate without even knowing it. And God, yet you, you stand with arms open wide saying, come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Lord God, I pray for this congregation today. I pray for this church. Lord, I'm excited to see what you're going to use Crossview Baptist Church to do in Ben Hill, Irwin County. I'm excited. The way that you're moving and working in my heart and these people's hearts, the things that you're doing here at this place, that you are. May we not miss that, God, that you're doing. Not that we're doing, but that you're doing. Father, may we live in light of it. May we be excited about it. And may we simply be obedient to whatever you call us to do. I pray for these people, God. Thank you for them. Thank you for their ear. I pray that you give them ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of what has been shared today that they may see the, the length and the breadth and the width and the height of the love of God for them. As Saul prays in Ephesians 4, 3, excuse me, Ephesians 3. God, may we live in light of who we are today and our new identity in you. And may we let the work up to you. For that's who it belongs to in the first place. May we simply be obedient to your commands. And it's all these things we ask in your name. Amen.